0: Please remain standing and pray with me. Spirit of God, come now in power, and Lord, touch the word of God that you yourself inspired and bring it to life again among your people today. I pray, Lord God, that you would take um, this clay vessel, this clay pot, and fill it with treasure, your treasure, Lord, to bless your people. I pray, Lord, that um, the challenging word would also be the word of grace and the word of the gospel. And, Lord, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I kind of feel like that uh, churches need to be equipped. We've got a lot of accoutrements in this church. We have, you know, we got these altar light things going on. You know why we have those, right? In the early church, it was dark. That's right, and that's why we have that. I'm not kidding. It was just dark, and we kept them because they were pretty. And then we got all this other stuff. But what we don't have and what I think we need is one of those red, rotating, flashing lights right up here somewhere that will come on, and maybe a little klaxon would sound, whoop, 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 warning, this sermon will mention tithing. So there should be that. There should be that. Uh, you know, when um, years and years ago when um, Lisa and I were in our early part of our marriage and I was in what, what used to be called uh, in North Carolina, I don't know about anywhere else, I was in a backslidden condition. Uh, I don't know if you can have that anymore, but I had it real bad. I had a backslidden condition. and So every now and then she would manage to drag me to church, you know, and I would go. And everywhere I went, it was the Sunday they were going to have the tithing sermon. I don't know why that was. But that's what happens. So uh, I want you to know if you are a guest here this morning, yes, we do talk about this every Sunday. (laughs) No, we don't. There are seasons of the year we do come back to this topic, and we do because it is a part of Christian discipleship. It is unavoidable if we're going to be true to the whole counsel of the Word of God. And it is in the Word of God that we get some really good news. And I want to give you something truly encouraging and uplifting this morning for your discipleship. I hope you're ready for this. Here it is. You are totally unnecessary. I am totally unnecessary. Unnecessary. The entire cosmos is totally unnecessary. None of us, none of this beautiful, extravagantly wonderful world we live in needed to exist. And do you know why that is good news? Well, the reason is that since this universe is unnecessary, that means that everything, everything, including me, including you, is sheer gift. You are sheer gift. Every one of us is an expression of God's superabundant gift-giving love. Why is there something? This is one of the great questions of philosophy. Why is there something rather than nothing? That really is. Leibniz and others have asked that question. Why is there something rather than nothing? We have the answer to that. It is because it is all gift. It is the overflowing abundance of God's love, mercy, and grace. We exist not out of necessity, but out of love. You exist out of love. Everything that exists comes from a gift-giving God. And so James says in his little letter in James chapter 1, verses 16 and following, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures and not only is our creation pure unmerited gift so is our redemption i know that we're all familiar with this verse but it bears repeating john 3:16 for God so loved the world that He gave He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And it is in our salvation through Jesus Christ that we see it's and it's in how God elected to redeem the world that we see god 's gift gift giving is Radically generous, and it is lavishly sacrificial. God's giving love is lavishly sacrificial. There is no other way to understand the cross except that it is God's lavish, sacrificial love. Now, here's the truth that tells us something about who we are to be at the core of what it means to be a human being. If, as the scriptures teach us, we are indeed created in the image of God, then by definition we are created to be givers because God himself is a giving God. And if we are not givers, then we're not fulfilling at one level of our existence the very purpose for our creation. But, there, but more than that, when we are born again by accepting Jesus Christ, we are made God's children. And as God's children, we share in his attributes. If God is our father, then we have his DNA. We share in his attributes of, of being lavish, sacrificial, radically generous givers. So if joyful, love-motivated, radical generosity, uh, being, is not, if that is not a part of our life, then we are missing a fundamental part of being human in general and a disciple, a follower of Jesus in particular. And at Christchurch, this is one of our guiding values. We have talked about this over and over and over for years. And every year we see God gives us a, another m- motto, another theme in our church's life. It emerges. And these don't go away. They stay with us. And one of those themes about Christchurch is radical generosity. And I have seen in this church uh, breathtaking taking expressions of radical generosity by people in this congregation who never want to be named. But, and, but the cool thing is, is they just light up with joy. We had a guy in this church uh, one time. He's, he's moved. He didn't move because of this. He just had a job somewhere else he had to go to. <laughs> But we, we had, had a season where we were talking about radical generosity. He had this amazing guitar collection. He, he sold some of these precious uh, historic guitars and gave the money to the poor. Because that's what Jesus said to do. That's crazy. And yet, he was so happy to do it. And we see this over and over again. So this morning I want to open the scriptures to help us become the kind of givers that God has created you and I to be. We cannot talk about following Jesus. We can't talk about discipleship without talking about giving. And so I really don't make any apologies about this. However, I do know that um, you're, you may be that person like I was who came to church the Sunday that the giving sermon was being preached and this was not your home church. Well, if this isn't your home church and you have a home church somewhere else, then take these principles and apply them in your home church. If this is your home church, or if you're coming here, you need to apply these here. If you're exploring following Jesus Christ as a way of life, as being a disciple, as a way of life, then you need to know that this is an inherent part of being a follower of Jesus. And so this is a universally applicable topic. And if we're not hearing preaching and teaching about giving, then we're not really getting the full counsel of God in Jesus Christ. Now, you need to know that in preparing this sermon... Um, I did two things last night. Now, I, I was preparing the sermon loan before last night. But last night, I went to a website uh, by Randy Alcorn because uh, his book, The Treasure Principle, which I highly recommend, was very influential in how I put these thoughts together. But I did two things last night. The first thing I did was I went and did the chicken dance at Oktoberfest. That was the first thing I did. But then I came back home and i went online and just read those those wonderful testimonies and the teaching of Randy Alcorn again and it was just so exciting and it's so biblically based and here's the bottom line i want you to hear this in order for us to live out lives of radical generosity we have to embrace what randy alcorn calls the treasure principle he didn't bring he didn't create that he just gets that Phrase the treasure principle from the Matthew text that we just read, where Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's the treasure principle based out of Matthew chapter 6. Are you ready? Here it is. You might want to write this down. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. I want us to look at a church that modeled that kingdom principle and see if we can apply this in our lives as well. And that church would be the church that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He tells the Corinthian church about another church, about the Macedonian church, and that the Macedonian church is radically generous. These are literally the last people you would think of as having the capacity for displaying radical generosity. They were a persecuted church. They were enduring severe affliction. And probably because of the result of that persecution, they were extremely poor. But listen to what Paul says about this extreme, extreme poverty, he says. And what this, uh, this poor and afflicted and persecuted church did. Again, going back to Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and following. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their... Okay, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty... Think about those together. These are together. Their abundance of joy coupled with their extreme poverty. Let that sink in and think about that. For in their... Extreme poverty, their abundance of joy, they have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Listen to what the extremely poor, persecuted, joyous Macedonians did. Begging us earnestly for the favor, begging us for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now, here's what I want you to hear out of that passage. First of all, this is critical giving isn't the luxury of the rich, it is the privilege of the poor. Giving is not the luxury of the rich, it is the privilege of the poor. Uh, I have seen this in my life over and over again, that some of the people who have have the least to give are the greatest givers. I have watched this over and over and over again. And this is an extremely important point because, let me tell you, um, for the generation that are my children's age, the, the millennial generation, this generation has a particular difficulty financially. They don't have—they can't—the uh, the American dream that their grandparents knew is, is, just doesn't exist like it used to exist. And so this millennial generation uh, is finding it very difficult to find uh, uh, jobs that pay a living wage. And jobs that, and so they're having to work multiple jobs. They're feeling extremely strapped financially, and so they they they're feeling the weight of this. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, adjusted for real dollars, wages really have been stagnant since about the 1970s. And the millennial generation feels this in particular. But I want, if I was a millennial today, I would want them to hear this is that uh, giving is not the luxury of the rich. It is the privilege of the poor. Now, I'm going to be self-referential on multiple occasions in this sermon. What do I mean? I'm going to tell you about things that Lisa and I have done. Why would I do that? I don't usually do that kind of stuff because it's, it, this isn't about me. It's about the Lord Jesus. But let me tell you what. If, if I do not have the moral authority to stand here and preach about tithing if I do not practice tithing. And so I want you to hear this. When Lisa and I didn't have a pot to cook in, uh, I thought tithing was crazy talk. And she, we were both followers of Jesus. But she said, no, we, we're called to do this. And so she drugged me kicking and screaming into being a tither. And I want you to know that... Um, when my, the, the second church I served was the first church I served out of seminary. We were in a church, a parish on the Outer Banks, and we were poor. No, we were poe. <laughs> we couldn't afford the OR at the end. Uh, and, um, and it was finally about the third or fourth year in that church. Now, you think about this. I was married with a, a wife and three children, and we had never gotten over the poverty line, but we, had, but we were tithers. Now, this is not poor-mouthing. This is a testimony to God's favor faithfulness. We never went without. Our children never went without. We had a car to drive. They had shoes to wear. They had clothes on their back. I gained significant weight. <laughs> we were provided for because God is faithful. Giving is not the luxury of the rich. It is the privilege of the poor. I, I can't help but think about... Um, the Armenian church. Um, When I was there years and years ago, and I was struck, this is after the collapse of the Soviet Union. There was a war going on, the Armenian-Azerbaijani war. We were there in that period of time. They just had an earthquake. Their nuclear power plant was offline. People had literally died freezing to death in their old Soviet era apartment buildings. But I remember being in one village and one woman's home that we went into to pray with her and just just to try to bless her and honor her. Uh, We were in this community. We went into her home. She had nothing. She had nothing. And so she dashed about looking for a gift, and she literally took a, uh, a picture of an Armenian folk figure, Akhtamar. She took this bronze plaque off her wall and insisted, pressed it into my hands, and made me take it home. And it was like the last thing she had that she could give. And she made me take. It. it's in my kitchen to this day on display. And she was so happy to do it. It brought her such joy. What is going on? It's not the privilege, the luxury of the rich. It is the privilege of the poor. It made her joyful. And where does that joy come from? Well, it comes from living out of the fact that we, we, we were created to be givers. And when we live out our created purpose, we live out the truth that we are God's children. And then the result of that is overflowing abundance of joy. We are most like God when we are giving. And so if your Christian life lacks joy, the very first thing I would recommend you do is give it away. Give something away. Just give Don't give You don't have to give it here. Give it to the food bank. Give it to the Samaritan's Inn. Give something. And watch God put joy back into your life. They begged God for the favor, this Macedonian church, the, the favor of giving. When God's grace has been truly received, when we have truly experienced God's unmerited favor and grace, we, in like manner, want to become givers. Now, when we live as givers, because this is how the universe is set up, this is how God created us to be, we're going to experience blessing that comes with that. There are, yes, benefits that come with being a giver. The very first one is, and I'm so glad I get to talk about this because you'll know why in a second, we feel God's pleasure. Some of you already know the, the, where this is going to go. When we give, we feel we actually feel the pleasure of God directed into our lives. We can sense His blessing and favor upon us upon us. Randy tells a story about Mark, who is a, a Kentucky attorney who gives away half of his income each year. And Mark said, "My pursuit of money drove me away from God, but since I have been giving it to him, everything's changed. In fact, giving has brought me closer to God than anything else." When we give, we feel his pleasure. Now, this is why I like this, because I get to use this quote from Chariots of Fire. You know the quote from uh, when uh, Mark, I mean, when uh, Eric Little in the film is speaking to his sister, Jenny. And uh, Mark, I mean, Mark, uh, Eric has been called to uh, the mission field to serve in China. His sister is going to go to China. She wants him to go to China. Actually, Eric Little died in China as a missionary. But before he did that, he was called by God to, to run in the Olympics. And so this was back in the 1930s. And, and he's having a conversation with his sister. And he says to her, Jenny, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose for China. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I feel his pleasure when I get to say that. <laughs> But we do, when we do what we're created for, we feel his pleasure. And God has made us for a purpose. He created us to be givers. And when we give, we feel his pleasure. Giving jump starts our relationship with God. It opens our closed fists so that we can receive what God has for us. The second thing that we find that when we are givers is that God really does, supernaturally and superabundantly meets our needs. You cannot outgive God. There are people in this church. I could have them stand up and tell you, they tried and they couldn't do it. <laughs> you cannot outgive God. This is what the scripture we heard read from Proverbs says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. God blesses us like this. He will do this, but He does it not so that we can spend more on ourselves. This is not some prosperity gospel spiel. He doesn't give us these blessings to spend more on ourselves but because he recognizes that we are faithful in how we use the blessings of finances that he gives us, he gives us more so that we can give them to his kingdom purposes. God is looking for people who will achieve his kingdom purposes, who will be found faithful with little things so that he can bless those for his kingdom. He blesses us financially. This is important to remember. Not to raise our standard of living. God blesses us financially when we give. Not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. If you go to Texas, there's a lot of things there, and one of those is the Letourneau University. Letourneau University, R.G. Letourneau was an inventor and a manufacturer of earth-moving equi- equipment. Uh, he was born in Vermont, and as soon as he came to his senses, he went to Texas. And he spent his life and career there, and he died there. Uh, at, finally, at one point in his life, he reached the point where he was giving away 90%, 90% of his income to Kingdom Work. And that's not just his private income. His company gave 90% of its profits away as well to Kingdom Work. And he said this He said, I shovel out the money and God shovels it back to me, but God has a bigger shovel. He has a bigger shovel. He increases our standard of Uh, our our blessing financially, not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. And one of the most important benefits that comes with giving is that giving comes from an, an eternal perspective, and it reinforces an eternal perspective about life. Listen, brothers and sisters, you and I are going to spend eternity somewhere. Most of the time, life is like a ray you remember your geometry class a line with an arrow you know you start but it just keeps on going forever and ever right so line is uh, the life is like this ray and you have a beginning point but somewhere you're going to spend eternity but most of the time we don't live like life is a ray we live like it's a point like it's a dot and giving helps us remember that we are going to spend eternity somewhere either in the new heavens and the new earth of God's kingdom or eternally separated from God. But most of us live, unfortunately, at some point in our lives, we will experience living like practical atheists. What do I mean by that? Well, we think of money and possessions as if they, there really is no final judgment and that our, how we live with our stewardship has no bearing on final judgment. There's no God, we think, no, no way to store up treasures in the kingdom, But when we do realize that eternity is our home, it changes the way we treat our possessions now in this life. Seeing, giving helps us to see things in eternal perspective and it reinforces that eternal perspective. A while back, I told you a story about this uh, cemetery in uh, old, the old city, of old part of Cairo, you take a dusty little alley and you go by some Arabic signs and you'll come to this cemetery in Cairo. And it is a cemetery for American missionaries. And in there, you will find a sun-scorched tombstone that reads William Borden, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. Now, Borden was a, yes, that family of Bordens, um, uh, the, the, uh, the well, wealthy family, I think they actually did have the, uh, the, the uh, dairy at one time, too. Didn't they make, uh, yeah, there used to be Borden milk. It's those Bordens. A Yale, he was a Yale graduate. He was heir to a great wealth, a great fortune. But he rejected a life of ease in order to bring the gospel to Muslims. Uh, And he refused to even, at the beginning of the 20th century, when the automobile was new and he could have afforded it, he refused even to buy himself a car. He gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars in the early 20th century to missions. And then after only four months of zealous ministry in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis, and he died at the age of 25. He had given away thousands to missions. He went to Egypt to reach... Muslims, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after only four months of ministry, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died. The epitaph on Borden's grave describes his love and his sacrifices for the kingdom of God and for the people that he wanted to bring the message of salvation in Jesus Christ to. And then that inscription ends with this phrase, Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. The world looked at Borden, and it did, as if he had squandered his life. But the only reason that the world doesn't ha- does that is that it does not have an eternal perspective. God calls us to give in such a way that apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for our life. Brothers and sisters, that needs to be the epitaph on all of our tombstones, about all of our walk in Christ. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for Ben Sharp's life or for your life. Now, this morning, I want to give you some training wheels for giving. Uh, You know, training wheels give us the confidence to start riding a bike, but the goal is at some point to leave the training wheels behind. Well, the training wheels, the most basic step in giving in the community of faith from God's, for God's covenant people through the ages has been to give the tithe. A tithe literally means 10%. I, I, I didn't realize people didn't know this. I'm not a math person, but I do want to give the uh, quantity to you. It's 10%. That's what tithe means, a tenth of our income. Now, I have had uh, people over the decades, and I can say that now. I've been doing this for decades Tell me they object. Well, you know, the tithe is an Old Testament concept. And I, my, you know, I have a glib answer. My glib answer is that's right. It is an Old Testament concept. The New Testament concept is to give everything away. Do you want to start being an Old Testament Christian first and then a New Testament? You can start at any point you want to. But I like Randy Alcorn's uh, more pastoral response. It, it seems fair to ask, he says... It seems fair to ask, God, do you really expect less of me who has your Holy Spirit within and lives in the wealthiest society in human history to expect less of me than you demanded of the poorest Israelite? And as I indicated to you earlier, Lisa and I started when there was, when there was no good reason to start. The tithe is not a stopping place. It's not a stopping place in giving. It is the starting point in giving. And again, I told you I would be self-referential, and I do this only to show that I, I want to practice what I preach. We start with giving 10% of our first fruits, and then, but that means before we pay anything else, and we give that. Uh, to kingdom work, and we do it through Christ Church. This is my church home, and I look around. I mean, we had the food pantry yesterday. We have all this, all this, this ministry going on, and I want to do it through this church. And so I begin by tithing to my home church. That's storehouse tithing. I recommend that, and then we give to other ministries beyond that ten percent. And in the last few years, we've been giving additional funds to the relief of our persecuted brothers and sisters in the Middle East, particularly in places like Iraq and Syria and in other places that are experiencing persecution from the hands of Islam. This morning, I want to invite you to, to take to, to an adventure, uh, to take the 90-day tithes challenge. Many of us in this room have already done this before. On your pew, I want you to pull it out. It's probably on the end there. There's a little commitment sheet. It says the 90-day tithe challenge on it. And as you're pulling that out, I want you to know what this is. At Christ Church, that is not your pledge. We, uh, do we pledge? Yeah, well, they made me do that. I, you know, it's early on. I said, I don't want to do that. And they said, we should do that. So we do that. And it was a good idea. But this is not it. This is not a pledge. This is about a commitment to tithe. Nobody sees this except for the people who pray over these, t- these commitments. That will be Father Keith and myself. We're going to pray over these, but our treasurer, Tom, does not get to see these. This is between you and God, and we, me and Keith, we're going we're to take these sheets. We're going to commit to pray for you as you begin this adventure. Now, over the next couple of minutes, I'm going to challenge you. you don't ha- I don't want you to feel manipulated or coerced, none of that. Please don't feel that way. But I am going to challenge you to make a decision to step out in faith and to commit the first 10% of your income for the next 90 days to kingdom work. And if Christchurch is your home church, do it here. And if your home church is somewhere else, I want you to cause your pastor to have a coronary and do it there. Not really. I want him to, I want him to be pleased, but don't give him a coronary. Now, you say, well, I I want to take this home and think about it. No, it's not that kind of thing. You don't have to do it. But today, this is the moment of decision. So I want to invite you to do this. But I remind you, as we begin this adventure, what it says, again, what God's word says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So here's the challenge. If God does not bless you at the end of that 90 days, if God does not keep his word in that passage that we just read, and we could go to others as well, then I'm going to do what somebody probably has never told you to do. I want you to stop tithing. I want you to stop tithing because something is wrong. People say, well, have you ever seen it where, you know, somebody commits to this and, and then, it, and then something, you know, it financially doesn't work out for them? And, yes, I can say it has. There's two, two ways that, it, that that happens. Way number one is, uh, and, and you need to press through this if it happens, uh, that if you, if you commit to take this step of discipleship and you are a believer, and a fairly mature believer, the enemy will not like it. And so, yes, Charles is nodding his head. He's lived through this. The enemy will not like it. And he will, he will come against you, and he'll make your life miserable for a little while. If you will persevere, God will bring blessing as he said he would, and I've seen that happen. And so just press through. If you're finding opposition from the enemy, come talk to me or Father Keith about it. We'll pray about that. We'll rebuke the devil together, and we'll we'll press through. The other way I've seen this not work is if there is some point of core disobedience to Christ in my life. If there is a point of greatly disordered living, a point of sin, of cherished, uh, besetting sin in my life that I will not release— and repent of, then I have seen this this not work because God has a, a work that is prior to the work of getting our financial discipleship in order that he needs to do in your life. And you would know that when, if you come to that point and you're not, you're not seeing this being blessed, then you might want to take stock of your life. Now, I realize that some of us have never heard this teaching before, and if you are like uh, I was when Lisa would take me to, well, she, when she said, uh, we need to start tithing, my heart was pounding, and I was just plumb scared. Uh, you're, I was thinking, and some of you are probably thinking, this would not be a good time to start tithing for me. Um, I want to say that I think tithing is a lot of, like having children. There doesn't seem to be a good time to start. But it's always a good thing when they come. So, humanly speaking, there's never a good time to start tithing. There are always going to be house payments or car payments or doctor bills or college debt or retirement plans. And some of us are saying we can't even make our budget right now, and maybe that's the problem. You need to bring God into your financial life. I want you to remember that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. With ninety, If you give 10% and you're left with 90%, God will do more with that than you can do if you had 100%. And I have seen that over and over and over again in my life. Tithing is ultimately not about money. It is about trusting God. It is about living into who we were created to be. Either God can do what he says he can do and what he promises to do, or he can't, and then we, we just need to stop doing what we're doing right now but I have seen him faithful over and over again. Now, some of us here, probably many of us here are already giving a tithe, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and fill out the tithe challenge anyway, because we're still going to pray for you. If you're already tithing, just fill that out anyway. And then when the, when the offering baskets, if you filled one of those things came, if you filled one of those out, just drop that tithe challenge into the offering basket, fold it over. Father Keith and I will take those, and we'll pray over them, and, we'll, uh, and we want to hear your testimony after that 90-day period of time. But if you are already tithing, I want to invite you to go crazy and take your training wheels off and give something above to the tithe to whatever kingdom work God is calling you to support. Maybe it's Operation Christmas Child. Maybe it's a missionary in the Middle East or somewhere else. Maybe it's the food pantry or Samaritan's Inn. Take the training wheels off and let the joy abound. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I invite you at this time to stand.